dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Hello, Father Michael O'Loughlin. Hello, Sister. Happy Feast. Happy Feast Day. It's the Feast of St. Elijah. When we're recording, yes. Not when this comes out, but we're recording at Feast of St. Elijah. Yeah. So fiery chariots all around. Have you had liturgy yet or is that this evening? That is this evening. In LA, people driving is so crazy and it's getting back to normal that pretty much everything we want people to actually be at, if it's not on the weekends, is after 7.30 p.m. Got it. Father, Father Dennis Rubiak, who is just the most delightful priest. Oh, he's so beautiful. Anyways, he came and had liturgy for us this morning and then he blessed our cars and our bicycles and our feet, which are not wheels. <laughs> but he did that anyways. For those for those who don't know, the wait tradition... before you say this. <laughs> what? Since you you were you were raised in my parish, and I I do tend to say anything with wheels because I think that's what I heard. But I think it's really anything that we travel. Really. I I honestly sometimes I've been a priest fifteen years and I question where I got some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> but you I, just I, say them? You just teach them without... Well, but don't you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was just doing, right? Right. So so I, I knew where you were going with that. God and I forbid was, I trust my spiritual because, father. Who... Because, for instance, <laughs> like I was, I believe it was probably the parish I grew up in where I heard anything with wheels because of course the charity has wheels. I don't think that's the main point though. I think the main point is that we travel in. Yeah. So that's why, you know, in Denver we had, I had the delightful Chris Haas would bring her vacuum cleaner, which I thought was beautiful and great. And I would always bless vacuum cleaners. But then I do think it's more of like, that's why I think the blessing of the feet, that's what made me think of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, they help us travel. I don't think that's necessarily the spirit of it either, but it's just a beautiful thing. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, why not? So I think it's probably things that we travel in because Elijah traveled in it, but I don't think it's important to put too much strict legalistic thought into what we bless. If it's if it gets us from here to there, in a sense, bless it. And if it has wheels like a chariot, bless it. If it involves a horse like a chariot, bless it. If it lights on fire like a chariot, bless it. <laughs> Basically, the Byzantine motto is <laughs> when in doubt, bless it. <laughs> when in doubt, bless it, exactly. We had this experience <laughs> in the Holy Land. Uh, we went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, our whole community, a couple years ago. And one of, the, one of the moms of one of the nuns went with us. And on this pilgrimage, uh, with a whole group, we were with a, a Melkite group. And... It was really funny because there was something, I don't remember what it was, something near the Holy Sepulchre that everyone was just going up to and kissing. And we didn't know yet what the significance of the thing was. And it was, I don't remember if the nun said this to the mom or if the mom said this to the nun, I can't recall. But one of them says, I think the nun says, why, why, are, we, why are we kissing this thing? And then I think the mom is the one who responded, kiss now, ask later. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's kind of a, that's kind of a Byzantine motto. Is, that is. Let's exactly. just bless and kiss everything we see. That's why one of the hardest parts of COVID has been not kissing oh, things. We so just kind of bowed everything. Even like when I was in Denver, I think Father Brian and I, the first time we were going to do like the priest kiss a piece right before the creed, I think we just went for it. I saw like, that happen and it was so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> we went for it, but it was still like, I don't think we should be doing this. And then, then at the outreach, 
I think we just bowed. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're not going to do that awkward, should we be doing this right now? Because I think the letter for the bishop did say no, you know, no touching other human beings. So this is a public confession of your disobedience yeah, exactly. to the bishop. There is, we'll edit that My out. awkward disobedience. It was not like explicit and confident. I need the bishop to know that. Like explicit and confident disobedience is bad, but like yes. the most awkward, <laughs> awkward disobedience, fumbling, bumbling, awkward disobedience, I think is a little more forgivable. And I saw it and I can attest to it was awkward. The awkwardness of it, okay. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Always willing to tell you that. It's it's so fun to watch um, when they're when we have Roman priests can celebrating at a big Byzantine event that we have like a life profession or something like that. It's just so fun because it's really sweet. You see all the Byzantine priests and they're just like really like hugging each other and just going in for the kiss on the cheek and then. And then a lot of the Roman guys that we know will do this like <laughs> <laughs> like off to the side kind of like, it's just, I don't know, it's adorable. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that, uh, eternal memory to Bishop Milan of, of uh, Mukachevo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but he was, he definitely went for the, uh, Went for the very Byzantine style kissing. He was very good at the at the double. I forget oh, if it was a double sure. or triple kiss, but he was he was very good at that. I remember because he was just a jolly, jolly happy man. I always love smiling. Him. Yeah. Oh, do you remember the first time that I I talked to you on the phone after I had met him, um, maybe Facetime, and I was like, Father Michael, I just met Bishop Milan Shashik, <laughs> and I love him. And I think he said something like, you know, I had a thought at one point that you would really love him. <laughs> um, and it, there's just like his smiles, just so beautiful. And oh. yeah, so. He would beam if he saw somebody, like if he had no idea who this person was. Yeah. Like if they, if he saw them looking at him, he'd walk over the big beaming look on the face. Hello, I'm yeah, Bishop so Milan. Yeah. So yeah, everyone, please pray for the repose of the soul of Bishop Milan Shashik, the Bishop of Mukachevo, uh, successor, to Bishop Theodore Romsha. I mean, yeah. obviously, if feet down, but, but yeah, yeah. But he was a. Uh, it was a very sudden death, blood mm-hmm. clot. Um, yeah. Took him. Sixty-seven. But, uh, yeah, He's only none 67. of us. None of us expected that. Yeah. So, but the Kachavos um, kind of our. I would say our parent eparchy for the Ruthenians. Mm-hmm. Um, some was. Some would argue Prashov as well, but I think I think Mukachevo is kind of the. The, the one, especially in my experience of of the quote Ruthenian Carpathian Rusin church that we belong to, it's um, it's pretty much Mukachevo. Yeah. So and Pereshov and Haidudurag, but anyway. Um, so we we had the blessing this morning. Going back to that of cars and bikes, and Father Dennis blessed our feet. And part of the prayer is something about may these vehicles or modes of transportation or something like that be as fast as the wind. Yep. And so or after, I, th- I think it's blessed these that are as fast as the wind. <laughs> oh, yeah. that makes more sense. If I and so, yeah. so because he had blessed our feet, I as soon as the blessing is over, I booked it across the street. I'm actually probably not <laughs> supposed to run that fast right now, and um, and I just yell back, "Mother, mother, am I as fast as the wind?" <laughs> um, it was really fun. It's a very childlike nice. moment. So, amen. Yeah. You have a lot of those. That's good. Yeah. Maybe yeah, childlike, childish. I don't know. There's a thin line. I, I think I think you uh, you <laughs> and I walk that it line very well. well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, all right. So we are. This is my topic today. So first, I will ask See. if you have anything 
that you would re- like to reflect upon from the last podcast, which we did in person? Um, yes. I had one thought, and it, it, I think it's, it's more eloquently done if I just read the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. So I'm just going to do that. Funny. Because I, I think it explains it very well. And then I was can... about I was about to explode on you because I'm like, you told me before the podcast <laughs> you had nothing, and I thought we were just going to get right into my topic. But you're not actually going to read four chapters. I'm going to chant it slowly. You're not. I'm okay, not. great. I have nothing to add either, so we're just going to move right along. Perfect. <laughs> so, oh, you know what? That's actually a really good segue, chanting the gospel, because. Okay. Part of what inspired this topic was, no, I'm not going to go there yet. I'm not going to go there yet. That's going to be second. But, but it has to do with, with chanting the Psalms, okay. with chanting a Psalm in particular. Mm, teaser. Exactly. Te- te- taster? What is the? <laughs> teaser, not taster. I don't know. You alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're just going to keep going. So the, I'm not, oh, speaking of alcohol, I'm not drinking alcohol, but I did what? So real quick, before you go off on this tangent, (laughs) we have decided that um, inside joke, I've decided, and you just laughed at it earlier. So shout out to Pearl Hoskins, who has already raged on us about about too many squirrels and getting off topic. So I've decided to name my particular squirrel Perla. So whenever, <laughs> whenever I go off topic and I realize I am, instead of saying squirrel, I'm going to say Perla. And oh. I just need all the listeners to know that I'm referring to a squirrel that is named Perla, named after Perla Hoskins. Okay, well then, uh, this Perla. is a, a challenge to... No, I'm actually commenting on what you're saying. Well, so this, this is, is a, a, a double, this is a, okay. a Perla squared. You can... No. Because you already you went off topic before out, doing this No, one. stop. <laughs> Please stop talking. I, when you get off topic, you can call your squirrel Perla, but I want a different squirrel then because that's not my squirrel. And so the next person to complain to me about being distracted, I can name my squirrel after. All right. So whoever wants to complain, I can't believe I just offered up for people to... Send us an email complaining about me. Maybe be nice though. I'm guessing start it'll it with something you really like about the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it'll happen before this one comes out because we just have like three weeks. But who knows? Who knows? We've gone six weeks without it happening until that's Perla, true. But, yeah, I think that we just get more and more distracted though. That's it's true. like at first we were, at least I was so intent upon like getting the material across that I was very focused and now I'm just more comfortable and maybe I've gotten lazier and so I get distracted. So we just had spiritual direction, you and I, right before yes. recording this podcast and then a lunch break. And during spiritual direction, I had the brilliant idea. I slept horribly last night. I needed more coffee, but I also kind of wanted hot chocolate and it is a feast day. And so I made myself like a tiny cup of hot chocolate in the Keurig Right, and then filled the other half up with coffee, and it was delicious. And you were like, "And you still have half a cup of hot chocolate that you can use." And I was like, "That's brilliant." Except, here's the thing: Keurig coffees you can run through twice, and I think you get like just um, less water is going through, so mm. you can get two cups of coffee out of it. But with the hot chocolate, 
all of the chocolate is disintegrated um, right away. Because it's instant like that. Yes. And then it's just water running through it. And so all I'm actually drinking right now, which I thought was going to be a second mocha, <laughs> is watered down coffee. And that's so nasty. what I thought you were doing is you, you had done, you had put in too much. So you would put like, and I thought you were going to like take the this, take one mug and pour it into a second mug, and have two mugs of chocolate, and then put coffee in both of those. I could have so done that. You that. Had two. Okay. I didn't do that. Anyway, see, okay. this is why you need me. I, th- I think of the important things in your life, like how to split one hot cocoa into two. You're the just deep, coming up with reasons the deep now that aspects I need to of Byzantine feasts. All right. Exactly. So here's what I want to talk about today, which I've told you a little bit about, but not a lot. Are you already taking notes on things you want to say? I haven't even started. I was, I was, I was writing chant psalms so that we remembered to get to that if you forgot. Because you said, I'll get to that second. And then I wrote chunk instead of chant. I was, <laughs> I was, I was changing it from chunk psalms for some reason <laughs> to chant psalms. And you totally caught me. So. <laughs> That's great. I'm really glad I accidentally called you out on that. Okay, so this this topic was inspired by two things. And one was a conversation with someone else, a friend of mine, and then one was something that happened with you. That's where the chancing of the psalm comes in. Okay. So the conversation that happened with someone else, I won't go into the details of it, but basically a friend of mine was struggling in a particular situation in which he felt that he wasn't able to give anything in a particular situation, like give anything tangible of himself to those around him. And he felt for that reason, like he wasn't contributing to the situation because he couldn't give. And there was a lot of frustration there. And it it got me thinking about this temptation that I think we often fall into of thinking that our worth is based on our productivity. So what we can what we can give, what we can do, that is what makes it such that we matter, um, that we have some sort of worth. And I think this can be very true in a worldly sense, but we also can transfer it into our spiritual life. Or maybe it originates in the spiritual life and then it's transferred to the outside. I don't actually know. But this this concept of we need to earn love ultimately is what I think it comes down to. Because when when we think we want acceptance, what we really desire is love. When we think that we want to be known, what we desire is not just to be known, but to be known and still be loved. And <clears throat> excuse me. So so I think that that, so that's what I want to talk about is this temptation to think that we have to be doing, we have to be giving, we have to be earning instead of receiving and instead of just being. It's the difference between doing and being. Mm-hmm. The other reason <clears throat> I was thinking of this topic, let me just take a drink of my watered-down coffee. <laughs> Dang, I wish that was a video. <laughs> um, I may have just spilled coffee down the front of my veil. <laughs> Um. Oh gosh, now it's on my face. Okay, so you're in quarantine, so nobody's gonna even see you all day, right? Except I'm coming out of quarantine in 45 minutes. Oh, 50 minutes. I'm coming okay. out at vespers. Well, coming they're gonna, out you're gonna of be quarantine. Like, 
you were a mess. Like, what'd you do in quarantine? You had hot chocolate all down the front of you. <laughs> it's not hot chocolate. It's watered down coffee. Okay, <laughs> so was that Perla? That was Perla. <laughs> so the the other thing that made me think of this topic, though, is a couple podcasts ago, you and I were trying to resolve some technical issues. And in doing so, we were testing out the sound. And you were like, let's record for a couple minutes and let's just uh, recite Psalm 50 back and forth. And so you're saying a line of Psalm 50, I'm saying the next line, we're going back and forth. And I'm a little bit fumbling. I think I got all the lines, but I was a little bit fumbling with some of them. And I remarked afterwards, because we we pray this at least once every day, um, actually at least twice every day at Matins and Compline every day. And then also sometimes during the Cathisma and also sometimes at one of the other hours. But so I hear this Psalm a lot and I'm very familiar with it and I don't even have to look at the book. And so I, I remarked on how it's, it's, it's crazy to me how much more difficult it is to just say the Psalm than it is to chant it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could chant all of Psalm 50, no problem. But when we were just speaking it, it was much harder for me. And you said that you had an unfair advantage here because as a priest, you say Psalm 50 as you're incensing the church before divine liturgy. Is that correct? Right, yes. Okay. So therefore I sing it multiple times a day and say it multiple times a day. Yes, which is good because you're extra sinful and probably need it. Exactly. (laughs) So, So anyways, I'm thinking about, that's where the chanting of the Psalm thing is so you can cross out chunk psalms off your list. (laughs) So I was thinking about this, about the chanting of Psalm 50 as you're incensing the church and thinking that at first it seems almost ironic that you're saying burnt offering and sacrifice from me you do not desire Mm. as you're incensing the Hmm. church. Nice. Because this is like what you're offering. You're offering, in some sense, burnt offerings, not like a calf or a lamb or something like that, but of the incense. Mm-hmm. And and then it's and then it's followed in the the psalm by a humbled, contrite heart. You will not spurn. Like this is what is meant to be the sacrifice, the humbled and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. So while I at first thought it was ironic, I then thought actually this is a really beautiful way to start the liturgy because. This is a reminder for you and for all of the people who know what you're praying, um, which probably often they don't because right. unless you're close enough to the priest and hear him muttering it under his breath, muttering is probably not the right word. Praying, praying it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like a mumble I know, Sometimes rapper. I feel like the mumble priests are muttering praying. it. <laughs> um, but for you and for those who do know what you're praying or who hear what you're praying, it's a beautiful reminder of this incense in and of itself is not what is a favor to God. It's, it's not what is, it's not really what we're offering him. What we're offering him is the humbled, contrite, broken spirit. And, and this is what he wants to receive from us. Mm-hmm. And we can see this right in I was I was kind of processing this topic with the other nuns and then a visiting priest who over brunch yesterday and and one of the nuns pointed out I mean yeah look at what happened to 
to Aaron's sons when they offered incense. Um, and because they offered it unworthily and mm. they're burned up. <laughs> um, and so, so that's an example of it right there. But I think that it's, it's another example of a way in which we need to be reminded in the spiritual life that it's not our doing here. It's not, oh, we have the right incense. We're saying the right words. It's the, it's the disposition. I almost said dispensation, which would have hmm. made no sense. The disposition of our heart is, yes. is what the Lord is really looking at. And we see this in, I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share one more thing. And then I have a lot to share from processing at brunch yesterday with the other nuns and the priest, but uh, I'll give, a break here in a second after I share these two quotes, if there's anything you want to say before I continue. Cool. So there, so St. Mark the ascetic has an entire collection of, of sayings about um, those who think that they are made righteous by works. Hmm. And so I'll share just two of them. One is he says, when we fulfill the commandments in our outward actions, we receive from the Lord what is appropriate, but any real benefit we gain depends on our inward intention, right? So we receive from the Lord based on outward actions, but real benefit is from our inward intention. Mm-hmm. And then he also says, he who does something good and expects a reward is serving not God, but his own will. He who is doing something good and expects a reward is serving not God, but his own will. And I think, I think that there's a certain, I want to talk about pride in a little bit, but I'll, I'll bring it up even here just to start, is that there's something in us that thinks that we need to earn love. We need to earn God's love by our spiritual works, by saying the right things in prayer, by doing the right things in our actions, we need to earn other people's love by contributing to relationships, by um, by producing. And instead of accepting love as a gift freely given, which it is, and, and any love that is not just freely given or can't be freely given, I think there needs to be some purification there. And I think in some sense, this is, it's prideful. And it's, it's the pride that we all struggle with because we're not willing to accept love freely. We mm. want to have done something to earn it because to have not earned it and still receive it, it requires great humility. Yeah. That's the start. And I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to pause in okay. case you want to talk, but you're not allowed to talk for like 30 minutes. All right. So you go like this, do the whole <laughs> neck cut off thing. <laughs> If I go too long, okay. Um, so, just a couple of things. First of all, I think that I, I like Mark the Ascetic's first quote because it 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 references the good of things well done, the mm-hmm. exterior things. So, I truly believe that. Obviously, I believe in good liturgy. I believe in following the book. I believe in in you know keeping. And you obviously do too, as as a monastic, because that's what you do, right? And that the structure of liturgy well done is important because it provides the skin, or I'm sorry, it provides the bones that that then gets fleshed out by the interior disposition. 
and and by the thoughts. I know it's kind of weird. That's a uh, really weird image. anatomical thing, but it's like in other words, <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll 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 make it less weird. Imagine a body without bones. No. <laughs> right? It'd be just a puddle of skin and bones and flesh on the ground. Oh, God. We're, we're going to have to put an explicit warning on this one, um, <laughs> like we do for iTunes. Um, so in other words, the, the, the liturgy provides the, the structure that mm-hmm. facilitates and, and makes, makes it easier and even proposes and encourages the deeper disposition. So the the external form of these things and and sometimes doing things therefore I'm just talking about liturgy here is incredibly important because it it does it orients I, I'm ta- I'm preaching to myself here because again you know I don't like discipline you don't you know I don't like order but what I've, I'm realizing as I get old that that I would actually have more freedom to do the will of the Holy Spirit to move with Him if I had the structure because then I would know. Mm. I was like, you know, everything's in order. Everything's working out and it's a well-oiled machine as a pastor, right? The parish is a well-oiled machine that allows then a lot more freedom than if I always have in the back of my mind, I need to pay these bills or file for these taxes or, you know, do these things. Um, so that a pastor, that's his world. His, his world is administration. And then he, he if that is well-ordered, he has more time. The governance is well-ordered. He has more time to spend with people and to kind of, evangelize and do the Holy Spirit things. Um, and I, I'm learning that myself. So in other words, the same thing happens with liturgy. The, the, the doing can sometimes and oftentimes does support the interior disposition. But what you're saying, sister, I agree. And what Mark the ascetic is saying is that, is that the focus needs to be on the disposition. My focus actually needs to, as a pastor, needs to be on the people, needs to be on my availability, not on the structure. So the structure is, is, is a foundation need to be put there. That's why I use the skeleton idea. And then it can be fleshed out in, in the more spirit-led driven ways in the governance, um, to, to use that image again. Um, I, Can I, I say I, something I, on that before you move on? Yes, please. Okay, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because that was something I was planning on mentioning and forgot to, is that those, those things, the incense, the right words, all of that should be, can be, and should be both um, conducive to fostering that disposition and, and also be a fruit of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I totally agree yeah. with you there. And, and there's something about like, we, especially we Byzantines are very much a sensual people of, of we, we like to have the senses engaged because, and we're meant to have the senses engaged because God gave us the senses and we're made to worship him with body and soul, um, spirit, mind, everything, heart. Um, and so, so it's important for us to, to smell the incense, to recognize we're in a holy place and to see the incense rising and be reminded that our prayers are being lifted up to God. Mm-hmm. And so, so all of that should absolutely aid in the disposition of the heart. And, and to, to be very clear, I don't mean just disposition of, in the heart, of the heart in the sense of, of emotions. I'm not saying we need right. to feel a particular emotion. I think that's important to say because there are certain things that some churches or practices could do that, that I think can be like kind of emotionally manipulative um, mm-hmm. in trying mm-hmm. to, to create these emotions in people. And that's also not what I mean, but, but to aid what God desires us to experience in the, the sense of the, the contrition and the redirecting always toward him. Yes. 
Thank you. And I really like how you also said that the the doing can aid in the deeper dispensation. And then the deeper dispensation that we have, that's Dis- the more important. <laughs> disposition. What, what did I say? Dispensation? You, you started <laughs> I know, that. You're the one I that know. started that. I'm sorry. <laughs> the deeper disposition. Um, <laughs> the deeper disposition can actually then help form the externals again. In other yeah, words, absolutely. The, 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 the fathers who came up with the liturgy, obviously it came out of a, of a deep, deep place of, of beautiful conversation with our Lord and great mm-hmm. contemplation. And the same thing is true. I remember walking through walking in Rome when I was 19 years old um, with, with my buddies in college. And we're walking from church to church and, and we walked in, I think St. Paul outside the walls. And we, it was probably the 20th church we had seen. They're all absolutely gorgeous. But my buddy walks in there, there's just something about that church. And he goes, whoever, whoever built this really loved God. Hmm. You know, he, he could just tell by, by the way, like whoever built this, designed this, built it, painted it, Really loved God, and so the, the, the exactly they they feed off each other. Both are necessary, and both are helpful to the other. Um, and I do think just one other thought. I have something else I might bring up later on, but um, to go back to like the the main subject of this podcast is you know is mystery. Um, it's it's a it's an it's an irony and a paradox that having structure done well. I'm going back to liturgy here. Having mm-hmm. structure done well actually kind of the topic from last time provides mystery. So in other words, it's the, the, the more black and white, if you will, the more structured it is, it seems counterintuitive to say that there's, of course, if, if, we, if we say the same words every time, if we, if we make sure that the litany of peace is followed by the antiphons, is followed by the readings, is followed by the homily, litany of vocation, creed, et cetera, like it seems that that is so set in place that it removes mystery because mystery and w- would kind of be the the hidden chance nature of it led by the Holy Spirit. But obviously, if you study liturgy, the the structure of the liturgy that is very specific and that we follow, we're all reading out of a book, we're all chanting the same thing. That actually somehow separates the holy and the mystery and actually helps to illuminate and emphasize it. Somehow, again, it's a mystery to, that this happens, but it, it, the liturgy becomes more of a mystery if we're following an outline very specifically. And it, that, I, I need to think about that more and pray about it more, but there's something beautiful there. And I'm sure, you know, Father David Petrus or um, someone who knows liturgy better than I do could, could explain what the fathers think about that. But I, I, I guarantee you, there's something to say. If, if we started just giving the, the pastor free reign about what he wanted to do on Sunday mornings for liturgy, it would actually be, I know, it would be, it would, it would hinder the mystery. It would hinder mm-hmm. the, the holiness, it'd hinder the unknown, it'd, it'd hinder the fascination, it'd hinder all these aspects that when it's very structured and specific, that allows the Holy Spirit to work and to provide the, the awe that we respond to it with even better. But anyway, that's probably a topic for all another podcast and I'll think of prayer about it before we do that. But that's what came to mind. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, also for another podcast that just makes me think of how I often tell people that obedience somehow in a way that that's difficult to articulate though given enough time and maybe a whole podcast episode, I could articulate it. Obedience is a very freeing thing. Um, so, so people would think that that being obedient, or or poverty and chastity. I guess all of the the evangelical councils is that what they're called? I should yeah. probably know that. I don't poverty and chastity, yeah, something like that. Um, 
people would think that poverty, chastity, and obedience could be um, maybe feel chained down or enslaving yep. or something like that, but actually they're incredibly freeing because they they break our attachments. And I think it's a similar um, mystery and juxtaposition there. Yep, so. excellent point. That is very very true, hundred percent. So, so okay. I so I'm, as I'm talking to the other nuns and this visiting priest about this, the I, I share with them kind of what I'm thinking, and I just say, you know, do you do you guys have anything that you think would be fruitful to talk about on the podcast to share with people? And the priest makes a really good point of he said he sees this particularly in, in this particular aspect that I'm about to mention. He sees this especially in men of. He said, if you notice that when, when men are in conversations, one of the first things that they ask each other is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And because they, this is how, how men can, can find their, their worth. And, and to be clear, in these, these gender roles that I'm talking about in this regard, I'm very much generalizing. And so, and, and you see this, women ask this question in conversation as well. But we kind of talked about at least amongst us nuns, what we are intending on the occasions that we ask that question. And we said, some of us don't even ask that converse, that question at the beginning of a conversation. But if we do, it's usually for the sake of finding a commonality to discuss. Or mm-hmm. I often will ask someone, if I ask what they do and then they tell me, then I will often follow it up with, do you enjoy that? And mm-hmm. because I'm bold enough to just get away with that, I guess. And... If they say, "Well, yes, I do," then then I want to like delve into that and find out why they find their joy in this. And um, but but often the question can be asked not for the reason of finding commonality or of of wanting to find what the other person enjoys or where they see satisfaction in life, but but to see actually like what it is that they produce mm-hmm. and. And I, I see this also in, I'm not trying to dig on men. I think that, I think that women, I'm totally externally processing here. This might not be true. I'm generalizing. Ways, please don't get offended by what I'm about All to say. of the prefaces, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it wouldn't surprise me if this problem of earning love, productivity being our sense of worth, is manifested in a more worldly sense in men and a more spiritual sense in women. It wouldn't surprise me if that turned out to be the case. Um, because I know a lot of women struggle with this in in their prayer of like thinking that their prayer is good if they have some reflection to produce from it or some tangible fruit as opposed to just, I spent time with the Lord, I don't feel anything from it, but I spent time with the Lord. Um, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but I, I see this. So, so I wrote an article, one of the, the seminary out here, they have an article in their newsletter that's like, I don't remember what they call it, but it's advice from women, basically. Hmm. And they, they asked me to write an article for it a couple of years ago. And I wrote it on the topic of men desiring to be fixers. Hmm. And I think this can come down to the same thing of if, well, and it's not just men because I do this too. I think maybe because I have the more engineering mindset. But if someone comes to me with a problem, 
I often am just immediately trying to fix their problem mm-hmm. when when maybe all they want is for me to to be with them and to empathize and the empathetic listening is the solution. It's mm-hmm. my being that is the solution for them, not my doing for them. And you've you've become very eloquent in this over the years of our relationship because there are times when I'll start talking to you about something about a problem I'm having and you'll just say um, is this one of the times that <laughs> you want me to actually help you figure this out or are you wanting me to just listen? <laughs> and yep. so you've you've done very well at this. But um, yeah. And you've and, never said, if you really love me, you would know. <laughs> so I commend you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've never done that. Thankfully, I don't want to be that person. Um, but... Yeah, so there's this this question of of what do you do and it's a question that's that's prevalent in our society not just among men but in general. And people often we experience this as nuns. I promise I'm taking a break soon from speaking. I told you I had a lot to say about this topic. But we get this question a lot as nuns because we're monastic, mm. because we're not we're not active sisters who teach or are nurses or work in a parish or something like that. And people often ask us, well, what do you do? Right. And sometimes sometimes the tone of their voice is, so what do you guys do all day? And they're genuinely curious. And other times it's like a very derisive sort of like, what do you do? As yeah. in, what do you, what do you give? What do you, like are simply being and praying and receiving people is not enough. Um, in their in their mind in this society that is so founded on productivity as worth mm. and uh, one one short story and then I'll let you cut in is <laughs> one of the nuns um, she had only recently entered the monastery and she had to go to like urgent care or something for something and at urgent care she's filling out the paperwork and she has to say that she's unemployed and she's never had to do this mm. because she's her whole life been working and in college and all of that. And so she felt kind of self-conscious checking the unemployed box. And then she's going through with the intake person, you know, and the the person says in a very, I'm sure like a very neutral voice just is confirming. So you're unemployed. And, and the nun says, yes. But I contribute to society, and she's very self-conscious, and she just yells this so everyone in the waiting room can hear. <laughs> um, and it's, but it's it's a natural reaction. Like we we want to, even as nuns, we have the temptation when people say, "What do you do?" We have the temptation to to gloss over the fact that we pray several hours a day. You know, we just want to be like, "Well, we host retreats and we have girls camp and and all of these things that we quote unquote do because we know that's what they want to hear." But maybe that's not what they need to hear because mm-hmm. that's just that's just soldering this view for them, solidifying this view for them that that we need to do, we need to earn in order to be worthy of something. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's that's exactly right. There are multiple levels to that because monasticism is a great example because the as as the nun said. Like there's a contribution there that is so deeply beneficial that it's hard to explain, mm-hmm. and we can't be eloquent. It's like it's like someone telling their spouse, "If you can't explain to me why you love me, then then you don't truly love me." 
you know, that's absurd because the deeper mm-hmm. love you can't explain. And so if someone says that, unless you can explain why you love me, you must not love me, that they're, they're missing the whole point of, of I love you for, for, it's an act of the will. I love you beyond, you know, reason. I, you know, I, I love you because God is love and he's asked me to, and I've decided to, and I've offered that, you know, but I, the image I, that came to me when you were talking about that earlier was if someone got mad at the heart for not being able to see or to mm. hear or to smell or to taste, like, like, oh, you're the heart. Like you're, you're a human heart. And like another part of the body gets mad at it saying, you know, what good are you? All you do is pump blood. Like, like I like to see beautiful scenery. I like to hear beautiful music. You know, you don't do any of those things. You, you're literally not contributing to the things I like most. And what they don't mm-hmm. realize is that the heart itself is, is sustaining the body and, and it is where God dwells. And, and if the heart is trying to argue for its legitimacy in the body, by arguing that it can see beauty or hear beauty or something like that. It's just, it, it's arguing in, in an arena that it's not going to win in, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, anybody who's, who's arguing that, and, and by the way, just, just a quick um, apologia for men. <laughs> I think sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes we, we ask, what do you do? Because we don't know what else to say. <laughs> like, like we walk up like, oh man, you're, you're, I love your eyebrows, dude. Like, 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 like what, what do you, what do you how, how do you do that? Do you get to, like, we don't, we don't have anything to say, like, in you know, my holding defense, a beer in our hand. The priest is the one who brought this up. I just, oh, with I, I, he, he's being very deep and holy. I, I totally understand. <laughs> he, he, he's plying the depths of theology and of society and sociology. And that I, I commend him for that immensely. And I, I love it. But, but, but even so, the fact that it's the, the, the fact that it's the, why are you like shrinking away from me right now? Um, I, 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 I want to defend myself. Go ahead. <laughs> the fact that it's the go-to, even, even the, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Why isn't the, I don't know what else to say something about the, the being like, what kind of things do you enjoy? What do you like to do? What yes. do you? I agree 100%, sister. Absolutely, okay. 100%. I, I, I think that we should change that. And I've even read articles on it, blogs on it. Um, mm. what, one of the blogs I read actually said, when you introduce your friends to new friends, don't say what, job, what their job is. Say what their mm. hobbies are. Say what they enjoy. Say, in other words, say things that are, that are going to, that aren't going to make anybody, if they're unemployed, <laughs> feel weird or awkward, you know, rather say, and, and know your friends well enough and, and care about their life well enough so you can introduce them based upon other things rather than what their job is and what, what, sure. what they quote contribute to society with because that, that, is, um, that is progressing and encouraging the wrong view of the human being, sure. you know. Um, and I, and if, if you're out of things, I have a question for you, but I don't, I don't want to ask it unless you're. I'm not out of things. Okay, go ahead then. Okay, the the other the other big point that I want to make. Well, well, first of all, I want to share a short quote by one of the nuns. Spiritual fathers often says this to her. She was sharing it with me. She's actually shared it with me multiple times. But he likes to say that monasticism is the antithesis of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just I really like that quote a lot. And I I realize that we're not. We're not only talking about monastics in this episode, but according to St. John Paul II, monastics are meant to be the reference point for mm-hmm. all baptized Christians. And so uh, he might say religious women. 
I don't. He got he got that from the fathers though. He didn't invent that. But yeah, so it's definitely, definitely the the, especially the Eastern tradition, which John Paul came from. Part of that is is that the ideal is monasticism. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so I just like that quote and wanted to share it. But the the last point I wanted to make is one of the ways that I see this this temptation, this attitude most prevalent in the spiritual life, particularly in my spiritual life. And I think we've a little bit touched on it in past podcasts, but is the desire for asceticism. Mm -hmm. And the desire for asceticism is a good desire and it, it should be fostered. And I'm a monastic. Obviously, I support asceticism. That being said, there can also be a temptation within asceticism to a spiritual pride for this reason. We, we can think that it's the, the things that we're doing, the things that we're giving up, the, um, like, if I can stay awake an hour longer, then I love God better. If I can fast from this particular thing, then that. So, so anyways, this can be, this can add into that attitude. And... It doesn't, it doesn't need to if asceticism, if fasting is used as the church means for it to be used. And that's why I think fasting should be closely watched by um, some sort of spiritual director or some, you need, you need some sort of accountability there mm-hmm. by accountability from someone with whom you're being totally transparent. Yeah. And because this is the part I've maybe mentioned on the podcast before of there have been times in before I was a nun that you had told me for a fasting period, you wanted me to do no more than what the church requires as a minimum, because you could see that I was trying to, to earn something by doing extra fasts. And, and this is in our Tipicon very wisely. I think our Tipicon is the rule of life for a monastery. Um, Our Tipicon says that, any nun must have permission from the hegumena, the abbess of the monastery, in order to take on any fasting that is above and beyond what is already required of the community. Hmm. And so, so even even for monastics, this is this is closely watched. And you see so many times that um, in stories of the Desert Fathers, we have talked about this before, that uh, a monk falls from some great spiritual height because he got prideful. Yeah. because of his fasting. And um, and so I think, so I guess I would say be cautious in things like, for example, one of the things that came up in the conversation at brunch was this Exodus 90 thing that uh, that's this program designed for men. I am not trying to bash men on this podcast. There's There's been a new similar one for women. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, one of my one of my friends is doing it. And I think those things can be super fruitful if done with the right attitude, but just but just try to to bring them to bring those things to prayer and and be sure that you're trying to have a good self awareness of is this making me prideful? Do I think that doing these things is what's expiating my sins, or doing these things is what's earning God's love for me, as opposed to like are are you trying to use these things? as a replacement for real intimacy with the Lord, mm-hmm. I think is where the, what the question needs to be. Yeah. I think that's everything I wanted to say. Um, I had this great meditation um, 
to bring back to myself, thank God, um, for a moment. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> I, I think I was driving. I have these. I, I love you long drives. You told me you think you talk too much on the podcast. I know so I'm I doing talk you a favor too here. much on the podcast. That's you not don't. even a thing. People love what you have to say. <laughs> um, so I was driving, and I love long drives, and I get very. Actually, the two times that I've had the the most thunks. Um, the most deep thoughts have been while I was driving back and forth to Denver just recently, and then um, I I went to I spent the two nights actually in Vegas on the way back because I needed to use their Wi-Fi because the Wi-Fi was out here at the office. You and needed so to use Vegas's Wi-Fi. I did. I needed so so I so I sat. I had a bunch of emails to do after all my Zoom meetings, and I I, I you can in Vegas you can smoke. Um, and inside, you can smoke at the casino. So I, I found the one bar where you could smoke, and I and I had a drink, and I had a a smoke, and um, of cigar, a, of cigar. cigar, and I got so much done. Like I was mm. in the zone, and it was incredible. Um, so anyway, well, I, I I have a lot of there's certain situations where I just need to kind of put myself in a situation. All of a sudden, this everything's flowing. Um, I'm productive, and I'm I'm happy and joyful, and and I'm getting things done, and I'm I'm a lot of I'm processing a lot of you know good thoughts in my mind. But one of them was that I have never ever ever lo- liked graduation ever. So I think you know. My, I didn't. I got kicked out of high school second half of my senior year, so mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't get even a graduation in high school. Um, I went online and got a diploma from online, and then in college, I just felt because of I don't want to. I don't want to make anybody look bad, but because of some allowances given me by my uh, my bachelor's thesis reader, I really didn't feel like I had done a good job on it. And then when I graduated seminary. Then I and again there were as you know other failures in there failed out of a, a, at least one college, um, and then when I graduated seminary it was kind of the same thing I didn't get my master's degree when I graduated which was very unusual because I was available I got my thesis later on, and so that was the first time getting my thesis after being ordained and doing my thesis getting and getting a getting in a, a degree and and you know having a piece of paper a certificate if you will. The first time I ever even liked having it. I mean, I literally would put all my, I put my bachelor's degree, I put my high school diploma, I, I put them like in a bottom drawer. It was just this totally psychological thing. I never felt that I had put the effort in to actually earn it. Mm-hmm. And I knew having a, a diploma, having a degree was something that, that was very beautiful and I loved it. And it was herb. I never felt I'd earned it. I always felt that I had, I had, Done just enough and kind of fooled my way, charmed my way into getting these things, and I had never really put forth the work. And and this is something I still struggle with. But I realize that when I look back and I say, "But I have a high school diploma, I have a bachelor's degree, I have a master's degree, like I have these things." And if if they weren't, if they truly weren't things that I put enough work into it and really did the put my you know nose to the grindstone and and could you know pat myself on the back when I got it. That means that all those things also involved did involve my work, but it also involved gift, gift from other mm-hmm. human beings, gift from you know God. And I thought that is maybe now that I look back on those things as as, as kind of as ashamed as I was of how I went through my schooling. There certainly is a I have received gifts over and over and over again, and I when I see that I say this is that has actually been extremely beneficial to my spiritual life because. I, I I feel a certain poverty of spirit, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit mm-hmm. that that say I, I have been so poor in these areas that I have always received from others. I've been the recipient of charity, spiritually, practically, in, in many ways. And I can see that as being extremely helpful to my understanding of who God is. So it's not, I, I almost have this, 
ex- this deep experience and habit, if you will, that's not a good habit, a habit of of receiving well and having to receive well to get to the next step of my life. And and having this experience of being a receiver or receiver or receiver from God and from other people and everything, you know, um, as you know, we have mutual friends that make fun of me all the time for for you know having people that just take care of me. You know, and I and I <laughs> like it's true. I, try, I have a lot of people that love me and take care of me, and I don't want to be that way. It, it does have an aspect of shame to it that I that I fight when people make fun of me for it, and I, I, I like I like when they make fun of me, tease me about it because I, I do see the deeper meaning of this has actually softened my heart to be very very receptive to God. And there's very few things that I can that I have ever done in my whole life where I can say I earned this. And I actually mm. think that is a really good thing. I, I've put work yeah. into it certainly, and I've, I've I've tried my best. But but there's there's I can always find a way that I didn't I didn't completely earn it. There was always some aspect of gift and grace, and I think that's actually been really helpful to me in my in my just perception of God's ongoing goodness. And my my really deep understanding of his faithfulness and the fact that he will always take care of me. You know, I, I, I'm in these situations a lot. It just happened again with a small thing where I was like, this is horrible. I'm gonna suffer immensely from this. And then I was like, you know what, Lord? I say this a lot and you always take care of it. You always take care of it. So I, and I, I just had this utter peace. Then sure enough, I made the phone, couple phone calls I needed to make that were I thought were gonna be the most horrible things in the world. And it was just like, Whoops! I totally was reading the worst into that, and it wasn't anything. I'll tell you afterwards because it's mm-hmm. it's hilarious. But it wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. It wasn't even painful. I, I just misread the whole situation, and and so I think sometimes it's good to meditate upon and think about and thank God for all the gifts we've received, and that can actually help us put us in the, in the place and the disposition and the mindset to always be a receiver from God. You know, to always be someone who, who, who is open to to being loved, not because of what you've done, like you're saying, sister, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are, and that God has decided to love us, and then take that example and love others, only because you know you desire to, and and you've you've decided to, and not because of any past or ongoing contribution they make to your life. Yeah, and I think there's and there's a a great freedom in that if we can get to that place particularly in our relationship with God, but also in our relationships with others because I was talking with another friend when I was on when I was in Colorado. He and I had some ice cream together and this was not you. You and I also had ice cream together, but he he and I were talking about I had gone during this last great fast uh, what we call Lent, at kind of a, I think you and I came to this mutually. I don't think it was your suggestion, but I had, no, it was my suggestion. I had wanted to do a communications fast for for the entire great fast and fasting from all communication except for letter writing um, with with a couple exceptions like family and things like that and the book club that I do. And, but, and, it was such a powerful fast, and this friend that I was talking to while I was in while I was in Colorado, it greatly affected him because he and I talked a lot, and it was it was hard for him. And we talked about how we can have this fear of of being forgotten, and which I think is part of why we feel the need to to contribute to be productive because mm-hmm. if we're giving something, then we'll be remembered. Yeah, and. As we're talking about this, 
I, I shared with him that the fast was so important for me because it helped me to, to realize what I already knew cognitively, but it helped me to, to fully realize that I didn't need any of these friends. Yeah. But I still, at the end of the fast, deeply desired these friends mm-hmm. and deeply loved these friends and, and wanted relationship with them. And he said, you know, I, I felt that change. I, I knew that I wasn't needed. And that was a scary thing. And, but it was very, it was very affirming for him, for him when after the fast was over, he felt he wasn't needed. And yet I still desired relationship and I still wanted to talk and I still, all of those things. And, and we talked about how that's actually a much more beautiful and fruitful relationship because if, if you're in a relationship in which it can at first be scary to think I'm not needed, mm-hmm. but the beauty of it there is that the fear can go away of if I no longer, if at some point I no longer give this thing or this person no longer needs this thing, whatever this quote unquote thing is, you know, be it affirmation or intelligence or whatever, whatever it is that you think you're giving in a relationship, if there comes a point when I can no longer give this thing, that doesn't mean the loss of this love because the love is not founded on what I'm giving or right. doing. Yep, that is so there's, there's a lot of rest and freedom there. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And I, I, I've, have you ever had to be eloquent about that? That was my initial, that was gonna be my initial question. Like how do you, because like I, I, I truly believe that if I if I look back and say which relationships am I in that I am the most assured that the love the person has for me is completely willed and not based upon anything I'm actually giving, almost all those and I think this is a good thing, but almost all those relationships are very very Christian. In other words, mm-hmm. they're 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 are our, our, the foundation of our relationship is based in Jesus Christ, and so it's it's. That that's kind of how I say I can rest and have the freedom because I know that it's not just in two weeks sinful human beings deciding to have a relationship, but it's actually founded on and it, it makes us holy, you know, based upon Christ's grace and His gift. Um, but I've tried to share with people with friends that are not Christian to somehow say, you know, I love you because I've decided to love you. It's an act of the will. It involves God because God is love. Um, but but even to leave God out of it with those who that might make weird about it at first, even though I hope we're going there one day, you know it it is it is really hard because we use that word love so much. You know it is really mm-hmm. hard to explain to someone who is not Christian and say I love you with with how do you say I have a Christ like love for you that is completely unearned and that is based upon the will not the intellect, um, etc. Um, to someone who doesn't understand the foundation of the body of Christ and, and the grace that Christ gives and that God is love and the sacrifice of the cross and the self-gift of the cross and all these things. Um, so you, I ask you to do your best, but do you have any, any example of that before we go? Um, no, I mean, I had that conversation with this friend that I was just talking about and I've, I've had the conversation with other Christians. I, I, don't think, I don't think you can explain it in a non-Christian way, you can you can explain it 
in a way without using the words Jesus or God or cross, but like, I love you with a, a, a love that is completely self-emptying, that is completely self-gift, that is completely focused upon you, a love with which I, I don't expect anything in return. You can say all of those things, but ultimately if, if we're talking about love, true love, we are talking about Christ. Like yeah. we are talking about God. Like you said, God is love. Um, but, and I don't know, I don't know how to make sense of that outside of Christianity, because if if all if all that we are doing and working for is is purely our life on this earth, then it doesn't make sense to have relationships in which you're not receiving anything. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I, I did a podcast, a Catholic stuff podcast. Um, with Father John Neppel, and I, I think we we went through the kind of the, the the types of friendship, and one of them, like the the lowest levels, is a friendship of utilitarianism. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just a, a where there's there there's you provide something for me, and I provide something for you, and therefore we have a friendship, and that that is a one of the definitions of friendship. But it's mm-hmm. it needs to be distinguished from the other types of friendship, um, sure. and I really do think that sometimes. And again, I'm preaching to myself here, but when we when we look at our relationships, we say, Oh, see, I'm I'm even using the wrong words here. Cause I want to contribute by giving myself, not just other things. And so there right. is a certain what am I providing and providing myself? And 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 that is, I think, a, a beauty, because that is is that's what love is, and that that is a good thing. Probably the only thing that really defines a a, a a transcendent friendship, a friendship that will last into eternity and that will be contribute, contributing to eternity is, is involves self-gift and not just, you know, here, here in LA, it's, it's, it's hard because you see, you know, you see a lot of people that are in the same world and, and then, you know, a, a lot of it on, a lot of my new friends, like you see on Instagram, like it's so nice to be able to tag someone who has more followers than me, because then, you know, I might, it's, it's all these friends, it's so saturated with use, you know? Mm. And if you kind of fall off of the influencer or the celebrity bandwagon, I probably won't tag you. I'm not, I'm not saying my friends do this. I just, I, I see that. Yeah. Um, but so that there, there's something about that that is, is so fragile and so dangerous. And I think one of the wisest things I've heard about social media in a while, and I've probably shared this before, but um, one of the formators at the Spirituality House in Denver used to say that many men who go off, because the men, who, if when you go to the spirituality, year, like your first year of seminary, you don't have a phone. Like you're off social media, you're mm-hmm. off email, you're off everything for that year. And uh, and one of the things You're allowed says, to have a phone on the weekends, I think. Maybe just for calls though. I don't think it's for oh, like sure. social media. Yeah, yeah. Like this. So, Got it. Um, so there's- if you go off social media and guys start to realize, like they start analyzing what they were doing on social media, because in this day and age, of course, guys enter mm-hmm. seminary at you know nineteen or twenty five, and they've been they, social media has been there the whole life, and and on mm-hmm. social media, there's definitely this aspect of. I can put myself out there exactly the way I want it to be. I can edit photos. I can edit speech. I can. My social media feed is is the me that I want people to see, and mm-hmm. involves none of the me I don't want people to see. And so when guys get off social media, all of a sudden they realize that, you know, if my whole life has been primarily a social media type life where I only 
put out there, what I want people to see, it's, it becomes a mask. And then does anybody, anybody in my life really see the true me? Does anybody see my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities? And if they don't, then does anybody really love me? Do people right. love the mask I'm showing or does anybody really love me? And that can lead to a great despair because you realize that that's not love. Like, like that's, that's you know appreciation for utilitarian use on social media, but it does not involve, true love has to involve vulnerabilities and weaknesses and those be seen and loved in those, in spite of those, with those, et cetera. So it can be very, very dangerous to, to wear a mask like that and, and only let people see, especially those closest to us, what we want them to see and not what we don't want them to see and, and never be, have those true vulnerabilities. Um, and I think, and so that's, that's something that I think the church, I don't want to go off topic here, uh, Perla, um, but, but, but th- that, that's one thing that, that the, church, <laughs> the church can get better at empowering is mm-hmm. true vulnerability. And then if that happens, then it needs to be, have support and, and, and uh, Christ-like unconditional love to support people when they do state their vulnerabilities and all of these things. Anyway. Well, and, and that vulnerability, the taking off of the mask can come from that place of first resting in the freedom of knowing why you're loved. Yeah. I, I had this conversation with someone a couple months back because they were so worried that I was finally going to, to see, they were scared to tell me some of the things that they had done in their life because they were afraid that it would mean I would no longer love them. Yeah. And and I made the point, It's it's exactly... It's the the other side to the coin of what I'm saying here is you can't you can't lose my love in this relationship because I've learned of something that you've done because you haven't done anything yeah. to earn my love because yeah. my love isn't based on what you do good or bad right. <laughs> um, and so I think that there's a a freedom that can come from that I have vespers in one minute and thankfully the door to the chapel is right there. Okay. But we got to wrap this up. Who do you want to pray for? Uh, Please pray (laughs) for my brother, Brian. I just found out that he listens to our podcast, which was very surprising for me and very sweet. And um, he pray for him and his fiance, Lindsay, and their beautiful baby boy named Matthew, because I love them all a lot. And... um, yeah, just pray for their growth in holiness and the continued growth in, in my relationship with him. That would be great. Amen. All right, I'll, I'll ask people to pray for um, a guy named Matthew who, uh, who may become becoming a catechumen for us. I don't know, unbaptized mm. guy who discovered my parish through... Uh, our Lord preparing his heart through a trip to Jerusalem, a trip to Russia. And then he watched the Matt Fadden interview and he decided he lives in LA and he decided to come to the church and he has not stopped coming. And uh, Very cool. and we'll see if he, he kind of agnostic upbringing and we'll see if uh, we'll see if he comes in. So just pray for a guy named Matthew. I don't think he'd mind me saying that. And uh, if God has other things in mind for him, then becoming a catechumen here, then amen. But um, but anyway, pray say a prayer for him. I, I pray for him every day, of course, as I do for all those who are, nearing the sacraments um, or not, but I don't want to read too much into it, but I, I, I see that there. So who knows? Pray for Matthew and your brother, Brian. Yes. Awesome. All right. Is this the, is this the outline? Us? Okay, blessing. Thank you. May Lord bless you and yes. keep you. <laughs> Cause his face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May God of all you have blessed. Uh, may our Lord bless all of you who are listening and all of your families, all those whom he has asked you to take care of and to love and to give yourself to. 
Um, may he allow you to move past any utilitarian understanding of your relationship to him or to others. May you trust and find rest and freedom in God's unconditional and completely undeserved love for you. And may you offer that same love to those who he asks you to offer it to. May the Lord bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray for me, sister. Ditto. Love Love you. Love you more. Love you better. Love you because... I got to think about why I love you. Just stop recording.